Stewart is in. Goblin in alone with Stewart back in. Scores! Over the blue line, space. Philly on near circle, back door feet. What a blocker save by Portillo! Here comes Halliday, left wing, joined by Beck. Halliday will sauce it for Beck, stick with for him. What a goal! For plenty of time and space, walking in near circle to the back end of the slot. Eber beats it, tucks it in. What a goal! Cross ice, D. St. Val has it. Back door shot, what a save! Portillo, it's loose, and another save. Right pad, he's miraculous. Welcome to our house. You're listening to the Fighting Saints Report. And we welcome you into another episode of the Fighting Saints Report. Jack Molesky joined by Jim Leitner. Just a few more weeks before we're back in the same state here. Jim is uh, still in Virginia. You're still obviously in Iowa, but we'll be both back in Iowa here for the uh, start of the Saints main camp, which is still on for July 22nd through 25th. And just talking off the show, it you know this feels like it's it's going to happen. It feels pretty late in the game to make any switches, so it seems like camp will be on July 22nd through 25th. Obviously, with protocols in place to make sure it's safe for the players and the staff, but there will be some hockey at the Mystique Community Ice Center, and that'll be a good sign. Oh, no doubt about it. And I, I think it's uh, the last couple of weeks. I think we've gotten uh, some wake up calls here that uh, this virus isn't going away anytime soon, and uh, I, I think there's a lot of people who thought, you know, just because the summer was coming around that, you know, the, the, the heat would kill the virus or that it would be not as easy to spread the virus. But uh, obviously that's been proven wrong. Uh, so I think that it's we've gotten a real good wake up call here the last couple of weeks in terms of, you know, maintaining those uh, safe social distancing and, and, you know, making sure you still wash your hands and do all the, the right protocols. So uh, hopefully the last couple of weeks has just been a, a that wake up call and that uh, a lot of people uh, get back to the point where they're taking this a lot more seriously and taking a lot more precautions uh, rather than just going out and, and resuming their normal lives. Like, like I think we've been doing the last couple of weeks, which has obviously not been uh, real beneficial. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, that's what we, I think people are going to have to start accepting is that, um, that, that for sports to happen, a, a, a lot of this stuff has to be better in terms of, of taking the necessary precautions to, to cut down the curve, which is once again spiked back up. But I think even more so that at this point in the game, you're going, if you're going to want sports, you're going to have to start sports while the virus is still prevalent in our society. So what you have to do is you have to be overly cautious and take all the necessary precautions and then some and try to make sure that sports can coexist in a world that has the virus. Because I don't think if you want sports to happen in the next six months, maybe even the next year that you're going to be able to do that without the, with the virus being completely gone. So there's going to be ha have to be some overlap here. And I think that's where sports leagues and, and fans are going to have to realize that if you want sports to come back, the virus is going to be involved you're just going to have to figure out how to make the two work safely for everyone. Yeah. And I actually think that uh, sports has really played a, a prominent role here. Like I said, even in the last couple of weeks, uh, because, you know, now you're seeing, you know, we're all excited about uh, the NHL coming back, major league baseball coming back, the NBA coming back, 
you know, we're all excited, you know, we're going to get back to a sense of normalcy and everything. Well, now, you know, all three of those professional leagues and even some amateur leagues are kind of pumping the brakes here because, you know, there have been some positive tests. And you say, well, hello, wait a minute, we have to, we have to react to this and we have to make sure that everything is a lot more safe. And I think that's something that's really resonating with, with the general public as well, because, you know, they're seeing, well, they're going to take away my, my favorite sports team or my favorite sports league for even longer. Uh, that really shows that this is uh, this is something that has to be taken seriously. And, you know, I even look at, uh, you know, some big healthy athletes like Freddie Freeman from the Atlanta Braves. I know he's, uh, he's not feeling too great right now because he has the virus and, you know, I, I think when you see young, healthy athletes who get this and they get sick, uh, you know, that's another thing that uh, really, really should resonate with a lot of people and should uh, really emphasize that they have to take it a lot more seriously. Absolutely. And as we move forward with the the restarting of sports, or at least the possible restarting of sports, that's the thing that we haven't seen yet is, is outside of NASCAR, um, and, and outside of the PGA Tour, there hasn't been a major sport that has successfully restarted yet here in the United States. And I think that's what the those big four are what people are going to be looking at in terms of um, the, the kind of blueprint. Because even though the PGA Tour and the NASCAR are big and they've been successful, when it comes to sports in America, you look at football first. And then you look at baseball, basketball, and hockey after that. And none of those four have yet to restart basketball and hockey and baseball all towards the end of July and early August have their plans in place to restart a season. But I think that will be the first big domino to fall is if one of these leagues restarts successfully, that's huge for all the rest of the sports at all levels in America. If one of these leagues or multiple of these leagues try to start, and then they can't restart successfully, that takes a giant step back for all the other sports because we saw how quickly it snowballed when the NBA decided to suspend their season. Everyone else quickly followed suit. I feel like it's going to be very similar um, in this case with the restart. If things start to go well, then they could go very well at all levels. If things start to go bad, it could be a negative trickle-down effect. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and like like you said, with the, the NBA is really what started the, the whole – the whole process of shutting down they shut down on a what was it a wednesday night or a tuesday night and wednesday night by the next day everything was shut down so i mean uh that's uh, those again those are the uh, the leagues that have the most resources they have the most contact with you know the the elite level medical professionals and you know they really have their fingers on the pulse of uh you know everything going on with the with the, the country so if they can't make it work, then it's going to be awfully hard for for high schools to start up or for leagues like the USHL to start up. It's going to be very, very difficult. So uh, there's a lot of lot of pressure on those those leagues, the big time professional leagues, to get this thing right and do it uh, do it successfully. And um, and they're going to handle it, I think, as best as they can. But I mean, we've seen where you know the uh, pro soccer leagues in in Europe they've started up. Uh, there's been some pro baseball in the over in Korea for sure, and uh, so I, I think it's it's something that can be done. Uh, it's just a matter of making sure that it's done the right way and uh, getting all the protocols in place so that you don't have a major outbreak and that 
you know, you can do this uh, safely for, for the athletes and, and hopefully at some point the fans as well. Yeah, all eyes will be on those uh, major four sports leagues and the guys continue to be on the, the leagues such as, again, the, the PGA Tour and uh, NASCAR who have already restarted. And, and for the most part, there hasn't been much to talk about in the way of coronavirus for those two sports entities, which has been very, very good. Um, but life still has gone on in other sports. They just haven't been playing those those sports. And that same is true for the USHL. Not nearly as much to talk about this time of year as there usually is. Uh, if this was a normal offseason, we would probably be diving into what the Saints schedule looked like right about now. We might be looking at the the upcoming players to, to look at uh, at the NHL draft for the Fighting Saints. None of that's happening right now, but still former Fighting Saints are making their way into USHL headlines. And the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders have taken two former Fighting Saints players and added them to their staff this offseason, Mark Carlson grabbing some um, experienced USHL veterans and adding some youth to his staff in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Evan Jansen was an, announced as an assistant coach a, a few weeks ago, and then uh, Christian Fry uh, joined the coaching staff as a goaltending coach. I believe that was just last week, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, last week. And uh, two really good, uh, really good examples of what the USHL is all about in terms of development. Uh, they're both guys who uh, really had to work their way through and really had to really had to you know they came to the USHL with not a lot promised to them and you know they worked their tails off in both of their cases and ended up with really good opportunities at the NCAA Division I level. Uh, Jansen went to the University of Denver and won a won an NCAA championship there and, and Christian Fry played at Ohio State and was you know their number one goaltender so uh, and again, both of those guys really didn't have a lot coming into the USHL. They 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 found an opportunity here and and uh, learned the right things and and, and played uh, played the game the way it's supposed to be played. And then they ended up with those opportunities. And uh, what we see a lot in the USHL is you see former players come back as as staff members. And again, it just reiterates the fact that the league is very much a developmental league because. Uh, for for both Jansen and Fry, you know, not a ton of coaching experience, but a ton of experience at the USHL le level as a player, at the collegiate level as a player, and I think it's going to be great for uh, a nice marriage of all that experience you have in Mark Carlson as a coach, and then some of these raw uh, talents in terms of Fry and Jansen, who you know are able to think the game of hockey very very well that showed in their play both at the USHL and the collegiate level but might still not have all the uh, refined tools that a coach needs and I think between Carlson and, and between Carlson's expertise as a coach and their knowledge of hockey it's going to be a pretty good pairing for the both of them. Well no doubt and, and like you know like I mentioned both of those guys have already established that they have the work ethic uh, they have the drive <clears throat> they have the motivation to be to be successful at whatever they do uh, so now it's just a matter of instead of instead of applying those traits to the way they play on the ice and, you know, the, the way they're, they're driven to get to, to whatever the next level is in their playing career. Now they're going to use that drive and those characteristics to excel as coaches. And uh, I think that's I'm sure that's exactly what Mark Carlson was looking at when he talked to those guys, uh, because, as you mentioned, they don't have a ton of coaching experience. Uh, they don't, uh, you know, they, they haven't been behind the bench at, at a high level and, 
things. And I think it's, it's important to have a, a mentor uh, like Mark, Mark Carlson uh, who will bring those guys along and, and show them the ins and the outs of coaching and, and help them really develop uh, in that new profession. So I think it's, it is a good marriage for, for both of those guys and for Mark Carlson. You know, he's got an opportunity to mold a couple of new, fresh, young minds and, and help them develop in, in, as coaches. And, and we've seen it over the last 20 or so years, how, how good a coach Mark Carlson has been and how good he's been at developing players and, and developing coaches for the next level. So uh, it's even though they're in Cedar Rapids and it's a rival, it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to see those guys develop, you know, as coaches the next couple of years. Yeah, and you'll be able to, if you're a Saints fan, watch it fairly close uh, because of the fact that Dubuque plays Cedar Rapids so many times. And hopefully uh, those two will get their start behind the bench this season. Again, so much uncertainty swirling around the, the sports world in general and especially the USHL season and what is to come for the USHL season. Uh, but speaking of the development and the coaching, we have a great interview today that, that kind of highlights the development at the USHL level and how that league can catapult you then to future success as a coach. Uh, we sat down with Matt Millar, who is now a goalie coach in the Los Angeles Kings organization. And uh, when I first met Matt and was talking to you about Matt, you had mentioned the fact that, you know, he spent six years in Dubuque, but certainly probably could have moved up sooner. But he was waiting for that exact right fit, that exact moment. And I think he got that being able to go back really close to home to LA, continue to work as a goaltender coach. Uh, and it was great to catch up with him and great to see all the success he had at Dubuque translate now to the higher levels. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you, you talk about him being here so long. And um, what I really liked about Matt is, you know, he really developed in a lot of different ways too. And uh, I think the coaching staffs, you know, put him in different roles and gave him different responsibilities. And, you know, by the time, you know, he was here for six years, but by the time he left, he was really, uh, he had a real nice varied background that, uh, that was really going to help him go to the next level at, at, with the Los Angeles Kings. And, you know, I think that's, again, that's, I think what uh, a lot of these pro organizations are looking for. They're looking for guys who, you know, as a goaltender coach, a lot of times, you know, you're just really focused on the goaltenders and, you know, the, that's really your only responsibility and you don't do much outside of that. Um, but in Matt's case, he did a lot. He did some assistant coaching uh, on the ice and he did a lot of stuff in terms of uh, helping the organization run smoothly off the ice. So I think all that, uh, that background was definitely beneficial to him and you know, made him a well, a more well-rounded coach. Made him a more well-rounded person, and uh, I, I think it gives you a different perspective when you have all those kinds of experiences. And you know, obviously, it served him very well. Six years in Dubuque, and coming up in just about a month or so on his first full year with the Los Angeles Kings organization. Here he is, Matt Millar. And we welcome a former Fighting Saints assistant coach, goalie coach. Uh, at one point, I think in my first year, you were doing just about everything on the hockey ops side. It's Matt Millar now joining us from uh, the confines of his home in California all the way across the country. And Matt, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Uh, thanks for having me on. 
Absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, I guess I, I've started most interviews, it feels like in the last couple months with kind of everyone's shutdown story. And uh, I guess that'll be my first question for you too. When, when everything started to get shut down with the sporting world, where were you? How did you first find out that things were going to change pretty rapidly? Uh, we were uh, at the Toyota Training Center uh, where the rain practice uh, and the rain, the Kings share facility. So uh, we had uh, some some management, Glenn Murray, who's kind of the head of development, and a couple other guys pop into the coaches room, and then uh, you know had NHL Network on. I think we were getting ready to hit the ice. Um, I think it was for a quick skate before a game, and <clears throat> I think we we're almost ready to go on the ice, probably 15, 20 minutes out. And uh, Glenn came down and said, "We're shutting it down. We're sending everybody home. Uh, everybody in the in the front office is is headed home too." So. Um, at that point, we didn't really take much with us because we didn't know how long we were going to be gone. So it's kind of like, oh, we'll be we'll be out of here for a few days and you know see wait for wait to see what happens. We'll come back maybe in a week or two, and then that turned into uh, a couple months. So just been uh, pretty quiet here in California. Try to get out of the house a little bit, go on some drives. Uh, if you're familiar with California, I've gone on some longer drives with my wife up to Big Bear, like Arrowhead kind of day trips, and then. Uh, we live probably about a, a five-minute uh, bike ride or drive from the beach, so we drive up and down uh, Pacific Coast Highway and just try to get out of the house as much as we can. That's that's all we're doing right now. I think I've been on the ice uh, one time with uh, with the Junior Kings goaltender. Uh, I had to wear a, a face shield, and uh, that was interesting to, to have that on and try to coach with the, <laughs> the full surgical face shield on. So. It's been interesting, but uh, it, it, all in all, it's been uh, really positive. It's given us time to connect with our prospects. We do a lot of uh, Microsoft team, Teams calls, um, you know, really get to know them. And uh, it's fun to have them. We have two guys in Europe and then two guys in Canada. So Bill and I will hop on the, uh, the Teams call and be able to chat with them and see their face. And I think it's built, uh, built a lot of really good uh, relationships, not only – within our goaltending group here, but also uh, within the goaltenders as well to be able to talk to one another and uh, get to know one another. It's a lot of fun. You mentioned those calls and everyone seems to be doing calls like that. Now it's the, the new normal, but at the start, like you said, we'll leave for a week, then we'll come back. I think everyone sort of had that mentality. didn't realize how long this would last. It's still carrying on right now. So how long did it take for you guys to settle into the new routine, the new normal? How long did it take to get comfortable with what you had to do? Um, Bill, Bill's pretty proactive on uh, hopping on the Microsoft Teams and setting these calls up. I think the the, the junior guys that, that aren't signed um, probably meet with them once a week on the teams. And I think uh, it just started out as checking in to make sure they had they were, they were safe, they were healthy. Um, they were at least trying to do something, uh, whether it was biking or running or getting out and just making sure they're staying active. And then it turned into, you know, having fun questions and conversations with them about, um, you know, what's your, what's your favorite meal that your billet cooks and what's the, the worst meal that your billet has cooked? Like little fun things like that to let the guys talk about their experience and it allows Bill and I to talk about our experiences too. So, uh, I think we settled into it pretty quick. I think we just had to figure out the the length of, you know, the meeting once it, uh, for a little while it was once a week, but then we kind of stretched it out to once every 10 days. And I'd say probably about, a, I mean, two, three weeks in, we're in a pretty good groove of uh, doing those teams calls. And then 
uh, it gave uh, me some time to connect with some of the prospects uh, so that you could kind of break down their season and debrief and really get a feel of uh, how, what, they, what they felt went well, what they really want to work on, some areas they're interested in. Um, and I think it's generated a lot of really good conversation and allowed us to have a pretty good plan moving forward. I think uh, the guys are really excited to get back on the ice because uh, not very many guys have been on the ice, but I think we've also got a really good plan in place for these guys when they come back. And I think that's exciting. In general, when we talk about settling in, it's been roughly a year for you now in this, this new position. How was it to settle into the new position and, and how have you liked things with the Kings organization thus far? The organization's unbelievable. It's, it's the best in the world. I, I grew up watching the Kings. My dad was part of the Kings. Um, you know, and just the, the leadership that's here with, with Rob Blake and Nelson Emerson and Glenn Murray. And that comes down to, you know, the, the NHL staff with, with Todd McClellan and then our staff as well. The, uh, the, the guys that I'm around every day, uh, I'm, I'm so fortunate to be around them and be learning from them. And uh, I'm excited to continue to learn and grow in this organization as a coach. Um, it, I'm, I'm living pretty much in the, in the same city that I grew up, grew up in. So I think the transition uh, away from the rink was, was pretty easy for me. It's been a little harder for my wife. She's from the Midwest. So uh, she's used to the seasons and used to a little slower style of life where California can, can get busy and, and hot real quick. So I think that, that was a big adjustment for her. Um, adjusting to the, the lifestyle as, as, a, as a pro coach uh, was, was a bit of a, it took a, took a couple of months for me to really find my rhythm. And, and luckily, uh, Cal Peterson and, and Matt Volta and Cole Kaler, the goalies that were kind of here, uh, Kevin Poulin as well, kind of later in the season, were all fantastic to work with. Um, you know, the assistant coaches, Yurislav Modri, Chris Height, and then the head coach, uh, Mike Stuthers, were, were fantastic at really, uh, you know, being patient with me and, and helping me learn and allowing me to grow uh, and have a voice on a staff as, as a first-year guy. So I thought that was incredible, that ex the experience where I was able to uh, have an opinion and have a say, but also have some guidance from them as well. And I think the guidance was, was really good. It was good instruction. Uh, the stuff that they gave me was very timely. And I think uh, having Bill Ranford here, obviously uh, won two Stanley Cups as a player, uh, won two Stanley Cups as a coach, and, and learning from his transition from playing to coaching and, and coaching, um, you know, a Hall of Fame goaltender, Jonathan Quick, and working with guys like Jack Campbell, um, you know, and then now Cal Peterson coming up, uh, you know, and, and guys are – aren't here I still stay in contact with that were part of the organization like Dusty Emu. There's the number of guys that have been around this organization that are, are willing to uh, reach out and help people learn and invest in people is incredible. You mentioned the, the patience that they had with you. Were, was there any kind of big learning curve that you had to, to adjust to at, at this next level? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's a, <laughs> the, I think the biggest thing that I had to learn was, uh, to speak up and whether, whether my opinion was, it wasn't right or wrong. It was just my opinion. And I, I think it, sometimes I got tripped up with trying to give the, the maybe what I thought was the right answer mm -hmm. uh, instead of just giving them the, what's, what is the right answer. You know, I don't, don't think about uh, how it's going to be perceived by uh, coach ABC or, or management uh, XYZ. Just, just give your opinion on the guy and your experience, which is why you're here. You've been hired for a reason because of your experience, because of your skill set. Don't be afraid to have an opinion. And also, don't be afraid 
to uh, to listen and to learn from other people. If you give an opinion and there's other information that comes out, you're totally okay with saying, you know what, that, that opinion's wrong right now. Uh, with, with new information, with, with stuff that we've seen, uh, I would have chose this as, as a different decision. So let's make it together as a staff. And I think that's the nice thing about this organization is it's uh, a lot of collaboration, a lot of guys working together in the same direction. So I just needed to have a, a firmer, stronger voice and uh, be able to give my opinion uh, readily. <laughs> for, for those debut fans that might not know exactly what you do, if you could you know, break it down to kind of a, a job description, if you were typing it out on the internet for, for someone to, to be hired to, what would the job description be? What does the week in the life of Matt Millar look like? I'll give you the, the, the what is it, the 280 character Twitter description real quick. Yeah, something along those lines. changes. Like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so first and foremost, my responsibility is the, the development of the, the goaltenders in the Kings organization. So uh, that's not including Bill. Bill's the, the, the goaltending coach um, for the, the NHL team, works with the two NHL goaltenders, preps them and, and preps the players and, and pre-scouting for all the NHL stuff. Um, and he kind of he kind of gives the uh, the overall themes for development, and I'm kind of uh, in charge of seeing those themes or or skills or tactics, uh, seeing those seeing those things through, making sure that uh, there's a plan for them, making sure that uh, the goalies are developing and transitioning, and really preparing to be a, a pro. So. Uh, a day in the life for me would be it really is broken down by a month usually i'm here for about three weeks and then i go on the road for about uh, a week uh, to any one of our prospects so we had uh jacob ingham in kitchener we had david renak in st cloud state and then we had lucas Perrick in spokane so uh you know i would spend time going out and visiting those three guys in addition to matt balalta who just signed as, as a as a young pro uh, was was going back and forth between Fort Wayne and in the ECHL in Ontario and ECHL and then finally Cole Keeler who'd been in the organization for a few years so uh, work with those guys where they're at and then work with the two guys that are in the AHL um, helping them really transition into pro or making them a better pro um, so a lot of a lot of development a lot of work with them on the ice which is one small part of it but a lot of it is spending time with them uh, away from the rink, spending time with them uh, and building a relationship with them to help kind of guide them to be a, a lifelong professional hockey player. Diving back to towards the beginning of your coaching career, how did you start to, I guess, when did you figure out that you wanted to jump into coaching? And then who were a few of the early influences on your coaching style? Uh, I think that I really decided I wanted to be a coach. Uh, I think it was one of my last couple of years of, of college. Uh, <clears throat> I'd coached a lot in, in, during the summer, just at different various camps and really enjoyed it. And um, <clears throat> I wasn't going to be playing a lot my, my last year of college. Uh, they had two really good young goalies. Uh, and I kind of was kind of like my, my role is now kind of charged with kind of helping those two guys adjust to, to, to working with one another because they're both really good. Mm -hmm. And um you know, both kind of wanted the net and there was a little bit of friction there. So uh, help helping them be part of a team, but also kind of guiding them in, uh, in their playing style and just my experience as a, as a player. So uh, our, our team, you know, did well that year. Those two guys played very well and they continued to play well for the next couple of years. 
and it was I, I felt really rewarding to be able to help those guys, um, you know, transition into being a part of a, a winning team and a winning culture. So it was a lot of fun for me to do that. So I think that's when I really got the coaching bug, and I felt passionate because I saw how it affected other people, and I saw their success, which made me excited. Yeah. And, and when you came to Dubuque, I mean, what were what was the development like for you in that league? Because I think a lot is made of the USHL as a developmental league for the players for obvious reasons. You see all the, the players who make big jumps to the college level um, and uh, pro level, but it's a developmental league at every single position, whether it's in the front office or on the bench as well. So what was your development like during your years in the USHL? Well, I think uh, when, I, when Matt Shaw brought me in, uh, I think he was right in saying that this would have been kind of like a, a master's class for you uh, for, for hockey. And I think I knew I had a good grasp on goaltending, but needed to learn more about the sport of hockey, about the, being on a team, being a part of the systems. I'd done a lot of individual goalie coaching and a lot of goalie consulting, but was never on a staff and was never part of a team like I was in Dubuque. So um, a lot of the things I learned in Dubuque directly translated to being on a staff here in Ontario and working with uh, goalies year-round. Uh, I'm around them, you know, pretty much uh, more than I'm around my wife during the season. So the, that helped in Dubuque, you know, knowing your time management and, when to say stuff, how to say stuff, uh, you know, when to lay off on guys, when to just let them play. And there, there's a, a lot of unique um, kind of nuances and, and balancing you kind of have to do when you're around the goalies full time. Um, so I learned a lot of that uh, in Dubuque. And the other thing that was fantastic was I was given the opportunity to, to do video, which I do now a lot with our goalies. And then also an opportunity to, um, be on the bench, which I'm not on the bench now, but it gave me uh, such an insight and perspective on, um, you know, being on the bench. It's not an easy thing to do. It's really hard. It's, it's emotional. It's pretty chaotic. So um, when now when, when guys come off the bench and they're, they're, they're emotional and there's things that have gone on and there's a lot of uh, tension, I think I understand that better. And I, uh, that's a big lesson that I learned is, you know, I'm sitting up in the stands watching the game I have a, a, a lower stress level, I think, or lower, uh, you know, I'm a little further away from the emotion of the game. So when you come down to the locker room, um, you, you can understand why those guys are pretty heated or there's a lot of, uh, a lot of emotion. It's pretty, pretty crazy. You worked with a, a lot of great goaltenders at, at your time with Dubuque. And when people see the turnover year after year in the USHL, often it's looked at as a, a detriment because the team gets a lot of new players in. But now you said you're working with four or five, sometimes six different goaltenders. Was that now a benefit to be able to work with that many, maybe slightly different personalities to be able to, to mold that to what you're doing now? Absolutely. Um, working with a lot of different personalities, a lot of different styles, uh, guys from all over the world. And I think that just benefits uh, your growth, not only as a coach, but as a person, being able to interact with uh, people from, from all over the world uh, that, you know, sometimes I have great English, sometimes don't. Uh, you have to find ways to communicate and connect. And I think uh, a lot of that just allowed me to be more comfortable with myself and letting people, uh, letting those goaltenders get to know me and helping them understand that I really wanted to get to know them too and wanted to help them grow as goaltenders and as people. And uh, the same applies here. We've got um, kid, two kids from Canada, um, you know, Cal Peterson's from actually Waterloo. 
And then you got, uh, you know, John and Quicks from uh, out east, Connecticut, I believe. And then, uh, you know, we've got two young kids that are that are coming up. Uh, one's from Slovakia and one's from the Czech Republic. So they're from all over the world. And World Draft, another kid who could be from uh, who knows where. So I think it definitely benefits you to have that experience working with a lot of different people and enjoying working with a lot of different people. You learn just as much from people from different cultures as you do from working with people from your own hometown. And obviously with all those different personalities, coaching each player is going to, to differ at least a little bit. How quickly do you find out how, you, how you're going to tailor your style of coaching or is it a constantly evolving process? I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's a constantly evolving process. You know, it could be uh, from drill to drill. You, you can just have to kind of feel um, and communicate and have a, have a relationship built up with that goaltender so you kind of know where um, you want that conversation to head and, you know, kind of nudge them towards maybe uh, trying something a little different or remind them to stay the course. And I think great – great phrasing by you. I think it evolves. It could evolve uh, shot to shot, <laughs> you know. It, it, sometimes it doesn't happen this way, but was there a, an instance in your career, like uh, one, one lesson that you learned that immediately you thought, wow, that's something that's going to stick with me for my entire career that I still implement today, or even maybe a couple instances of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think early on, uh, I, would, I would come in and I would talk a lot. and. Um, uh, it was funny watching video with uh, one of the first goalies that I coached, Christian Fry, and we're watching video, and I start the clip, and I ask a question midway through the clip, and he's like, hold on a second, I'm trying to focus. And for me, it was like, it's tough to do two things at once, so you have to really let the let the player learn and lead. And I think um, you take a lot of your, I guess, your your cues from that, that person that you're working with um, and allowing them to learn and giving them space to grow. And I think sometimes being silent uh, and letting that player come to you with questions and concerns is, is one of the, the biggest things that I feel that has helped me become a better coach, especially at this level. These guys are, are so smart. They know their game so well that uh, really a lot of it is just being a sounding board, uh, someone that they can come and talk to about their game or about, the fact they didn't have a good night's sleep last night or, um, you know, they're, they're having a fight with their girlfriend. All those things go into, um, you know, how you're going to approach that day with that goalie. Matt, it's been great to catch up with you, and we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, one more question, more recent news, but uh, what, was the, what was the atmosphere like the last couple of days with the Kings jumping up and being able to get the number two pick overall and draft uh, some big hockey news that just happens recently? Yeah, I actually I was watching that with my parents, and um, I thought it was funny because as the picks went on, I, I thought for sure LA was going to be pretty early, and it came down to the top two, and I was like, and I I made a kind of a bet with my dad that uh, LA was going to get number one, and my dad's been around hockey a long time, and he's like, there's no chance. He's like, they want to make this exciting, uh, they want to make it for for the fans, they want to get you know some buzz going about hockey coming back and the playing games and and sure enough uh, LA got two and uh, a team to be announced got number one so uh, I, I lost a little bit of money there and uh, was also disappointed because we didn't get the first overall pick but there's a lot of really good players and 
the Kings scouting staff has done a, uh, we've had meetings with them about the goaltenders and they have a, a fantastic plan in place and they're really prepared. So I think, uh, you know, they're pretty excited to have that number two pick. It's better than uh, three, four, five, six, seven. So we'll take it. And one more question. You mentioned the Kings scouting staff. Do you have much uh, contact with the former Fighting Saints player and Brooks Birch on that scouting staff? Yeah, we, he's actually been on a handful of our calls uh, just discussing the goalies because he does, uh, to my knowledge right now, which this, this may change, but I think he does a lot of free agent and college stuff. And uh, I've had great conversations with him about a handful of different goalies that he's watched and, and what he's looking at and what we're looking for. And, uh, you know, I think, the, again, just use the word collaboration. There's been a lot of really good conversations uh, about um, what, we're, what we're watching, what we're looking for, uh, you know, why we're doing it. You know, why is it important in development? Why is it important for Bill at the NHL level that the goalie does A, B, and C? And I think those guys that are open to, to, to learning and growing, and we also learn from them too. They use terms that, that aren't quite goalie terms that, you know, Bill and I have started to use that we like. So, uh, yeah, we do have interaction with Brooks, probably not as much as, uh, uh, as I'd like. I know he's a busy guy, but uh, the interactions that I have with Brooks are always uh, great. They're unbelievable. Well, Matt Millar, former coach for the Fighting Saints and now a goalie coach for the LA Kings. Thanks again for taking the time. Stay safe out there in California, and we look forward to hearing from you sooner rather than later. Yeah, thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, one of the goaltending coaches in the LA Kings organization, Matt Millar. You hear him talk about working with all those uh, goalies that are going to try to make it to the the top level. He works closely with the LA Kings goaltending coach as well. And good to hear from him and hear about his success. And obviously he echoes our sentiments that uh, hockey needs to come back sooner rather than later. So as we move our way up the ranks of leagues from the USHL to the AHL, we'll now hop all the way up to the NHL and uh, some more news involving the NHL and their proposed restart of the season. And over the weekend, the NHL Players Association um, sat down with members of the NHL's board and essentially agreed to concrete dates as to when the season would restart. And if all goes well, August 1st, we will be getting our first play-in games for that 24-team tournament. So we're less than a month away from the proposed restart of the NHL season. Again, a lot can change, as we've seen over the course of the last five or six months. But to have a date in place is more than we were a week ago, and that's exciting news. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, I think everybody were, was kind of getting excited about finally having hockey back. And, you know, they kind of teased us a little bit, telling us that it was coming back, but they didn't really give us a date. Uh, so now we have a firm date, and, and now it's just a matter of, you know, we still have, what, three weeks or so to, to figure out a lot of the logistics and, and make sure that everything is done well and done safely. So uh, it's exciting. And, and you'll, see, you'll see a little bit of, uh, I guess you can call it training camp news breaking around now. And so you'll get a little bit of a fix, a little bit of a taste of hockey here for the next three weeks before we actually see games. And one of the big logistical uh, issues to, to figure out was the host cities and the NHL had uh, started with 10 host cities. They didn't know exactly how many there would be to start. There were talks of four. There were talks of only two. They did whittle it down to just two cities. And uh, this will be uh, a rare occurrence where 
Um, the NHL is primarily played in Canada. There are Canadian teams, but the only two host cities are Canadian. It's Edmonton and Toronto decided on as the two host cities. And so you'll see a, a lot of NHL action, obviously, in those Canadian cities. And I think that, you know, right now, that's probably the safe decision for the NHL based on where Canada is at with the coronavirus and the United States is at with the coronavirus. You give your, just yourself a little bit more safety there with the players and the staffs if you put those uh, two hub cities in Canada. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I mean, you were looking at uh, the the hub cities down here in the United States. You know, you're looking at Las Vegas, you're looking at Chicago, uh, those cities. And they've had some issues with the coronavirus either currently or in the past couple months. So yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And from what I've seen, I think the numbers in Canada flattened out a lot, lot better. I, I'm not sure what they're doing uh, differently up there that they're having so much more success at flattening the curve but you know obviously they've done a much better job and it's a really a no-brainer to go to cities where that uh, where the the issues aren't uh, as prevalent and you know any any city hub city that you were going to go to was going to be a major metropolitan area uh, so and obviously those are areas where you're going to have bigger issues with the virus so uh, it just makes sense to go up there. The one, the one interesting one I heard, heard was that they were ta- thinking about going to the University of North Dakota as a hub city, uh, which would have been an interesting, obviously not an NHL arena or an NHL uh, city, but it would have been interesting to see if they would have gone there and, and used the, they have excellent facilities up there, if they would have used that as a hub city. And it's kind of remote, but I don't know what they would have done for housing and stuff like that, but it would have been interesting to do that. But again, I think uh, going to going to Edmonton and Toronto is, is definitely the right call to make sure you get into a, a safe environment. And to be able to lock down those two cities, to be able to, to lock down essentially quarantine zones for all the teams, that was such a, a big uh, undertaking for the entire NHL. So to, to be able to see that completed uh, it is pretty nice, obviously. And again, it's that one step closer to being able to play. And really, almost all the pieces are in place right now for the NHL. I mean, you have the hub city, you have the teams largely reported back. Um, you have the dates set for when the tournament will start. The biggest thing now is, do they feel comfortable enough to say, let's go for it? Because uh, we've seen with all these leagues coming back, I mean, players are testing positive. Uh, thankfully, a lot of the players that test positive aren't showing any symptoms or small symptoms. Um, but you mentioned Freddie Freeman. In his case, he's been sick for, for almost a week. And that's, a, that's an athlete in peak condition that I can't imagine has had any underlying health conditions in his life um, that it's still hit hard. And 35 players uh, since the teams have been asked to report back have tested positive in the NHL. So largely a small percentage, but not necessarily negligible when you think if that's two or three players per team, if they're close to their teammates, even though they're quarantined from everyone else, there's still that chance that the infection spreads. And so that's the, the thing that you want to avoid. And like I said, this might be a case where if you want to play sports, you're going to have to deal with the virus. So the NHL is, might just have to figure out a way if they want to play to to kind of contain it as best as they possibly can. Yeah, and I I, uh, I haven't heard how the NHL is going about it, but I've seen how how the NBA is going about it, and 
in terms of their bubble city down in Florida. And man, it sounds like it's a, it's a really intense program to really uh, shield everybody from, from potentially catching the virus. And, you know, I think you have to, you, you have to get tested before you even go down there. You get quarantined when you get down there. You, you're really limited in where you can go and what you can do. And I mean, it's, it's really intense on in how they're handling uh, the bubble city down in Florida. So I'd have to imagine that uh, the NHL would, would follow, follow suit or do something very similar in terms of know making sure that these players are are really isolated and that they're you know they're able to avoid contact with the with potential virus all over so i i think it's i I think you're that's what you're going to end up seeing out of the nhl as well and i mean that's really the safe thing to do and the Mm -hmm. the the prudent thing to do to to keep this thing uh, at bay yeah the the thing with the ultimately sports obviously the fans want them back uh, it just doesn't seem like fans in the stands will be anything that is entertained, um, at least for the next couple months at the very minimum. Uh, the I don't believe the NFL has made any official announcement, but I can't imagine that there's going to be any sort of fans in the stands, uh, certainly not to begin the season unless we see some big strides taken in the next few months. Um, but with that being said, again, with all these sports trying to come back, taking all those precautions, they're doing everything that they need to do to restart the season. And that's a good sign. The hope is that they're just able to restart the season and continue to take those precautions and make sure everything is safe while the season's going on. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll monitor those situations obviously, because as I said, I think that the main four right there have a massive impact on what the rest of the sports world will look like um, in the coming months for all those junior leagues that are going to start um, for the NCAA that's going to start, that's another big question mark, as we've seen recently, a lot of these colleges have moved classes online, um, so it's going to be tough to justify NCAA athletes playing in the fall if the rest of the students are are taking classes online, uh, so a lot of things to work out with sports, and that'll be interesting to follow in the coming months. Um, but we did want to leave you with, with some positive news because uh, in the last few months, obviously, you can get bogged down in a lot of negativity. Um, some of it is just simply what is happening in the world, and sometimes that is just negative news, but you don't want to get too bogged down in that. And so the positivity coming out of the NHL in the last week is that the, the tragic story that we touched on um, last year on one of our Fighting Saints reports in Oscar Lindblom, a, a young forward for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, he was diagnosed with cancer, I, I think, just about a, a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago. But he has just completed his cancer treatment, and that's incredible to see in less than a year um, going from being taken out of the lineup, uh, promising young player. The NHL really rallied around him. To now, the NHL is uh, hopefully going to rally around him again and, and show that you know you can beat it. And this is a, a great story for Lindblom, and, and maybe so great that he'd even be able to participate with the Flyers here in the coming games. Yeah, I, I don't know that uh, I don't know if that's in the cards just quite yet that he would play. And I, I saw he was on the ice and practicing uh, at least, and you know that's exciting news and uh, and good for him for for beating this so quickly but 
you know, as you know, I mean, it's, you know, just he's, he's beaten it so far, but that doesn't mean the journey is over just yet. I mean, there's a, there's always, anytime you beat cancer, there's always those anxious moments for the next year or two or, or whatever. And, uh, that, you know, you have to be cautious of. So, and obviously right now he might be a little susceptible, uh, with the virus going around. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he does play, I would, I would be surprised if he did. And I, I mean, it would be a, an amazing accomplishment if he was a hundred percent cleared to play, but, uh, at any rate, I think it's really it's really impressive and really a heartwarming story uh, to see that he's he's done so well and that he's beaten it. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, and as you said, it's it's not over yet, but it's a huge step in the road to recovery for Oscar Lindblom. And uh, as always, the hockey community being such a tight knit community will continue to rally around him as long as he needs the support. Uh, and it'll be great to see him continue to to beat this on his journey back to being able to, to play in the NHL. So uh, a big step again, happy for Oscar. Um, I know everyone in the hockey world is and uh, going to continue to support him as he moves forward, trying to, to get back to his peak condition. And once again, being able to contribute for the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, but that's all the time we have for this show. Once again, we thank you for tuning in. If you've missed any of the previous episodes, feel free to go back on our Anchor FM page or Spotify and download any of those past episodes. Last week, a great interview with Pierre Maguire about the restart of the NHL season. And of course, stay tuned every Friday morning, 10 a.m. Central. We'll be dropping a new podcast episode on our Spotify channel, our Anchor FM page, and we'll be posting it on social media. A couple more weeks of doing these remote, and then maybe we'll be able to do one in person. Jim, we'll look forward to see you in a couple weeks. And of course, looking forward to getting hockey back at the Mystique Community Ice Center July 22nd and 25th right now as camp rolls on. No question about it. But uh, again, uh, if we want that, we have to be safe. Uh, and that means all of us, we have to follow the protocols and take everything seriously, wear a mask and uh, just be very cautious and, and understand that this is, we're not through this just yet. We have to make sure that we stay, uh, stay very uh, diligent and make sure that we do things the right way. Absolutely. In it for the long game, but we want the season to continue. So got to take those steps to have a season. And that's what we hope is uh, going to happen here whether it starts on time, whether it starts a couple months afterwards, the, the hope is to have competitive hockey uh, in the USHL to start the 2020-2021 season at some point. So excited to, to continue to push forward towards that. And again, we'll talk to you next Friday, our final remote episode. And maybe on the 20th, we'll be back in person recording one of these. You bet.